Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. Hello, you're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM at Chapel FM Arts Centre. And welcome to the first episode of 2023. You're going to be hearing something special today. A walk in the park. That's Round Hay Park in Leeds. A fantastic natural space which was massively appreciated by people in Leeds and beyond during the pandemic period. So in the summer, there was a project called Meet You at the Mansion, which I was involved with, produced by a quiet word production company in Leeds. This was a celebration of the 150th anniversary of Roundhay Park, and it was produced in association with the Friends of Roundhay Park, volunteers who do a wonderful job looking after the park, day in, day out throughout the year. That was a kind of performance in the park, a live performance. This is more of a kind of audio performance. And, um, yeah, I won't say any more now. I'll, I'll, at the end of the, uh, the the podcast, I will tell you about how you can access it, along with the map, beautiful map, that was produced by the designer Amy Levine. But first of all, a walk in the park. Here we are on Soldier's Field, a vast green sea that runs all the way from Roundy Park to Oakwood. Known for its bonfires, funfairs and football matches, it was named for the men of Leeds who met here during the First World War. On a clear day, you can see all the way across the city to the distant Pennines, over Hunslet, Middleton, Ardsley and Osset, to the great transmitter mast of Emily Moore. Bisecting this great public lawn is Prince's Avenue, named for Prince Arthur, the seventh child of Queen Victoria, who opened the park in 1872. A wide, tree-lined thoroughfare, the road was created to provide better access to the park for the public. Built by unemployed labourers in 1878, the avenue runs from Oakwood to Canal Gardens. The field is now perhaps best known for the annual Roundhay Bonfire in November, a free event which first took place in 1977. But fireworks are not the only flying objects known to have been launched here. Soldiers Field was formerly the site of Roundhay Park Airfield. The airfield was the brainchild of Robert Blackburn, an aviation pioneer. Blackburn had a factory just down Roundhay Road on what is now the site of Tesco supermarket. There he built aircraft, including over a hundred BE-2C Army and Navy biplanes, and the famous Kangaroo, Swift and Sopwith baby planes. Many of these planes had their test flights on Soldiers Field, and in 1919 he opened the airfield up as a commercial operation. On April the 23rd, 1919, North Sea Aerial Navigation Company Limited started a regular passenger run between Roundy Park and Hounslow Heath near London. The company used Blackburn Kangaroos as their aircraft of choice and later extended their services to Amsterdam, 
Close your eyes for a moment and imagine the scene. A small twin-engine biplane, wing propellers whirring, taxiing across the field and gathering speed before taking off into the blue. Probably the picture that comes into my mind is first thing in the morning, on, on, on a cold morning, the sun is just starting to come up over the horizon, the grass is glistening, and there's this beautiful sheen of green on the grass, and the clouds are just lifting from, from, from the park, and there's this beautiful layer of misty clouds. Soldiers Field was where they used to do uh, exercises with the troops who were stationed here and um, a nice expanse of grass for marching around and doing their various uh, whatever soldiers do. I'm a bit of an ignoramus on military history, by the way. Um, and now it's... Uh, and this side is where they have informal sporting possibilities and on the other side, on the west side of Prince's Avenue, if you come on a weekend, you see lots of simultaneous games of football going on and uh, all other activities as well, you know, yoga classes for expectant mothers and all kinds of things uh, using this marvellous open space. And we can see right across, actually, to the hills beyond Leeds. I think that must be Emily Beacon over there, do you think? Um, so, you know, many miles worth of view. Uh, but you can also, from here, get a sense of just what a trek it was up from town. And one of the arguments against getting Roundhay Park as a, a town park was, for a start, it was beyond the borough boundary. So that was a bit of a cheek. It was into the, the uh, parish of Barwick and Elmet. So... Yes, it was a, a disadvantage for years that it, there wasn't a proper way for you know the mass of people to come up here. It was only the exceptional, uh, exceptionally wealthy folk who had their own conveyance. There was a horse tram service run by Mr Turton down at the Chandlers on the calls, but uh, it wasn't until we got the electric tram in the early 1890s that we really started to sort out access to the park. And dear old John Barron, instead of just saying, look, I've done my bit, I got the park at auction, and I saw to it that we got the bill through Parliament so that we could get all the finances sorted out, and uh, then oversaw the, the grand opening. But he didn't just say, right, over to you. He stayed with the Park Management Committee during the rest of the century until they'd got the transport problem sorted. And he, he at first thought that maybe they could have a, a railway. 
but that didn't come to anything. It was going to be very expensive to make, noisy, dirty, and it would only be heavily used in the summer months, so it wasn't going to work. And then somebody suggested an elevated railway, and again, that wasn't favoured. You can imagine what the the posh neighbours would have thought of that <laughs> intrusive thing. So in the end, it was this uh, the electric tram system, and we had the first electric trams in Europe with overhead wires. And then we had a tram system until 1959, when we stopped having trams. But we have the bus service, and the number two bus is the route of the number two tram, and just to the west of us here is the... Now it's used as a car park, but that was the tram stop to bring people to the park. Um, I remember, um, maybe not as a, a, a small child, but I remember as sort of a teenager... It was um, where we found a little bit of freedom, being allowed to um, sit on the bank of Roundy Park and have um, some sort of barbecue-y um, thing, you know, those those portable barbecues or whatever, um, and sitting and listening to music on our phones. I know, I can remember coming in and sledging as well, but with my... my my mum and dad was as children coming down Hill 60 and then we, we remember being very small and saying Hill 60, being told Hill 60 was a bit steep so we went on one of the other ones and my dad had this sledge which was handmade out of wood and it had iron runners and it had carpet that had been put on it so it's quite luxurious but I think we were all a bit like everyone else has got plastic ones why have we got a wooden one with carpet on <laughs> so um but yeah, we went down this, this supposedly gentle slope and I think underneath there was some kind of structure that had been hidden by snow, maybe one of the benches, because there used to be benches around the arena. And we remember going over that and the sledge cracked and we <laughs> did a ski jump kind of thing over the top of it. And it probably wasn't that impressive, but when you're quite small and you've, 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 you feel like you've flown and the, the sledge just cracked underneath you. So that's quite a strong memory. This spot is known as Hill 60, which is said to have been a name taken from a location in the First World War, but there's no no confirmation of that. But from here we get the most fabulous view back into the park with all its marvellous mature trees and down over the arena, which has been used for so many different sports and public events over the years. Cycling right from the beginning, actually, and cricket... Uh, and then various displays, uh, Children's Day and the um, um, military days. Um, that we, they've stopped happening in the middle of the 20th century, but uh, there's so much has happened since then. So the big concerts in the park, the fireworks used to be down here, uh, a great gathering place with a, a, a kind of amphitheatre setting. And then when we turn the other way, look back towards the town of Leeds where you can't actually see because it's hidden in the valley of the River Air beyond these trees of Soldiers Field and uh, you can perhaps hear the traffic in the background that's going up and down what's known as Prince's Avenue and the prince in question is Prince Arthur the royal personage who came to do the honours on the 19th of September in 1872 for the formal opening of the park there would have been a great procession to the park but not actually on Prince's Avenue because that wasn't uh, made until the later 1870s A perfect spot to catch a cricket match or watch a concert in the park A place to lounge with beer and friends and see the evening sky grow dark A place to rest in summer heat and watch the sun-baked grasses grow 
a place to slip and slide and sneeze and frolic in the winter snow. Named after another Hill 60, this one in Zielebeke, just south of Ypres in Belgium. Our Hill 60 is so-called to commemorate the many Leeds men who died on the battlefields of Flanders during the First World War, many of whom may have trained on the adjacent soldiers' fields before receiving their postings overseas. It is the steepest of the slopes that surround the park's arena. The long grass on the lower reaches is kept deliberately long, as a habitat both for insects and for fitness enthusiasts, who pant and strain up and down the hill's rough slopes at regular intervals. However, it is perhaps best known to the people of Leeds as a prime spot for sledging. Playing host to families on bin bags, shovels, plastic sledges, skis and tea trays from the moment that the first fresh snows of winter settle. Take a seat on one of the wooden benches that sit on the little concrete terrace in front of the cricket pavilion. The wooden seats are rickety, threatening splinters. They have no backs and truth be told, they are not the most comfortable of perches. It is rare to see anyone sitting on them now, except on summer days when local cricket is still played here. Up until the early 21st century, these benches were far more numerous. There was a whole bank of tiered seating that ran along the edge of the arena, covering the base of the gentle hill that slopes down from the main gates of the park. They would have been an ideal spot from which to watch a cricket match, or to see a marching band or cycling display. They would also have given you a good view of the massive concert stages that are sometimes erected at the car park end of the arena. Roundy Park has played host to many big names over the years. The Rolling Stones, Genesis, Bruce Springsteen, Madonna, Michael Jackson, U2 and Robbie Williams have all performed here. The most recent visitor was flame-haired troubadour Ed Sheeran in 2019. The arena has also been the stage for many important civic events. Starting in 1922, Leeds Children's Day was originally the finals for the Leeds District Sports Association's competition. The event began with a huge parade which started at Leeds Town Hall. Massed displays of PT, maypole dancing and musical skipping were popular parts of the programme. Every year, a queen was chosen from one of the local high schools to open the festivities. One particular highlight was the judging of the healthiest baby competition, the prize for which was a special silver spoon. Sadly, the event came to an end in 1963, but there are often talks about reviving it. Many Leeds citizens have happy memories of shows and events that took place in the arena. It is worth remembering, however, that had the former owner of the Roundhay estate, Thomas Nicholson, lived any longer, the arena might not exist today, at least in its present form. Here is an extract from the Third Lake and other fish ponds at Roundhay Park by Neville Herworth. It is sometimes said that a third lake was to have been created in the park in the days of the Nicholsons who founded it. Had this been done, 
It is popular belief that it would have been in the sports arena where the cricket ground is. One can easily imagine the lake in the bowl-shaped depression at the bottom of the slopes from the mansion and Hill 60. This would be a good place for a pond or lake since there was a stream next to it, as there is now, which could provide fresh water to support fish and other aquatic life in need of oxygen. There is oral evidence for this. Charles Mills was employed as the last footman by the Nicholsons in their time at Roundhay. In 1941, Charles was interviewed by the Yorkshire Post when he was 86. He said that had the old gentleman, Thomas Nicholson, who died in 1821, lived long enough, he would have made a third lake where the sports ground is and where tattoos were staged. Since Thomas Nicholson's fortune was based on the shipping industry, Charles continued, he used to say that he had made his money out of water and that he was going to have water round him. Both my wife and I used to come. Um, obviously, we didn't know each other at the time, but we used to do um, Children's Day. And some of the older people might remember Children's Day um, on the, you know, the arena there in the middle. Children's Day was a, a gathering of all school-aged children, and there were sports and um, demonstrations, exhibitions, and things on the the main sort of cricket ground there. Um, and there were, you know, people used to sit and watch, and it was just a, you know, I think. They may have even done, like, maypole dancing, I'm not sure, things like that. All the things that people don't do these days. We used to come to Children's Day in the park. I can remember it being really exciting, and I can't remember how we got here because we didn't have a car, but I do think we came from the city centre by tram, and I, I do remember it just being an amazing day. And, and, and there were things like egg and spoon races and the crowning of the Queen. So that really is my earliest memory of Roundy Park. That's going back some time. <laughs> I came to see Madonna at Roundhay Park in 1987. I was pregnant with Frances. And it was amazing, even though, you know, I was pregnant and I, I knew I couldn't drink very much because there was no possibility of going to the toilet and you probably know when you're pregnant you just want to pee all the time so I remember being quite thirsty but also thinking this could be my last hurrah but I'm seeing Madonna so I always associate Madonna with Arantay Park whether she remembers it or not <clears throat> I couldn't say in daylight hours the arena is rarely empty alive as it is with joggers dog walkers careening children and people taking exercise classes but once night has fallen on the park and the moon is high in the sky, the area is a very different place. Here is a poem by Gail Mosley, written in the park in August 2022. I haven't been here before, middle of the cricket pitch in the early hours, alone, flat dark ground. Sounds startle. Screech, rustle, hoot, silence. Behind Hill 60's rim, a faint light appears. Effort suppresses fear, walks me back to the edge, through blacker shadows up to the path, out of here.
Here we are at the main entrance to Roundhay Park. Fronting onto Prince's Avenue, these magnificent gates, constructed out of iron and stone, let visitors know that they have arrived somewhere truly special. Covered with banners advertising upcoming events, the gates are an ideal meeting place, an iconic landmark that's hard to miss. So much so that they were given Grade 2 listed status in 1996. That said, it is important to remember that up until the construction of Prince's Avenue in 1878, the park was generally accessed from the lodge entrance that opened onto Weatherby Road. It wasn't until 1892 and the installation of the electric tram that these gates really came into their own. Even today, the number two bus stops directly across the road from them, offering pedestrians easy access to the park from Leeds city centre. When I was a teacher, I was, became aware of Roundhay Park being very, very important to a lot of people, a lot of the children that I taught, who lived in back-to-backs where there was, they didn't have any gardens or yards, and the highlight of their summer holiday break was to come to Roundhay Park, get the bus to Roundhay Park, the lakes, the running about, the rolling about, they absolutely loved it, yeah. Park is uh, one of the Yorkshire's icons, isn't it? Everybody knows around the park. You go to any city, you mention around the park, uh, people know about around the park, and it's got very old history, which is uh, good for the city and uh, good for local people. My father departed first, leaving my mother, and my mother survived him seven years. So I rediscovered the park through uh, my mother's deteriorating state physically, but bringing her here in a wheelchair was delightful, still having the odd picnic. I then had respite time, so I could come and I could um, uh, get rid of my stress, um, you know, that was being created about caring for an elderly parent. And um, I then have had the joy of meeting up with a school friend whose mother was also deteriorating in Leeds. So we would come and meet in Roundhill Park and exchange uh, notes about social care and what was going on. So it truly has been my psychologist, my psychiatrist, my best friend, my I can scream to the wind and no one's listening in a world that's demanding so much from me. A lot of years ago, I had a heart attack. And one of the things that you're told to do after that when you're recovering is to go for walks to make sure that you exercise. And I remember again having been really incapacitated and in hospital, coming into the park, again, five minutes from home, and just breathing the air and seeing the space and thinking... I'm going to be all right. So many memories to look back on. It's hard to remember when my love affair with Rounded Park began. It was probably that first school trip, stepping off the bus and seeing how vast this playground is. Almost too much for a child to take in. Exploration, water, people, pictures, picnics, a castle, where to begin exploring. That first picnic, then many more ice creams, donuts at the fair, burgers on bonfire night, scones at the cafe, 
Some memories fade, some merge, but there are new ones to make. Memories provide comfort, but the exploration never stops. Dressed in similar long coats and small hats which sat in front of their coiled hair, the two ladies seemed to glide across the entrance to the park with its wrought iron gates. Arm in arm, they make their way to the octagonal shelter. Large panes of glass protect them from the wind, which caused the leaves to rustle, sounding very much like the ladies themselves as they rise to make their way home. In August 2022, poet Peter Spafford ran some workshops for local writers in the shelter here. They took place at different times over four consecutive days. Here is some of the work that was produced. Covid in the shelter, roses taking selfies, moving away from Zoom to meeting weekly in the shelter, six women of 60 years plus, great friends and supportive of each other, each carrying a lifetime of joy and sadness and we cried and we laughed and sometimes we sang in the shelter. The shelter provided us with a convenient meeting place to congregate safely, keeping our distance, socially distancing, keeping each other safe. Rosie said we were her tribe. We left our virtual world where we learnt to take it in turns to speak and we connected and interrupted each other. It was cold, we dressed in warm clothing, hats, gloves, scarves. Week in, week out, each Wednesday we met up. Whoever arrived first would need to move on the young lovers, the personal trainers, to try and commandeer the place for ourselves. We cherish these COVID meetups where many other social opportunities were denied us. Rosie would take selfies of us all whilst socially distancing. A rose enclosed in cream and mottled white. Concentric circles form patterns spreading outwards to the metal trellis and wooden beams below. Paving stones create a mandala of light and mottled grey, interspaced with leaves and broken twigs. Nearby, birdsong and the golden rays of the early evening sun, offering a pathway back through time to an era of brass bands, music and long summer days, filled with children's laughter, family outings and picnics in the park and quiet evenings for young lovers, lost in their embrace. A grid marks its centre to allow the river of time to wash away the rain of memory, pooled at this time machine's core, a place for reflection of stillness, a meeting, a launch pad into the unknown.
shelter by the fox. Three twigs left on the bench. Three twigs, same length, two straight, one with a kink. Five minutes before, three girls, 12 to 16, dark, identical, long black hair, sisters, friends, sat for a moment, chatting. One walked to the bin, deposited a carton, walked away. Three girls, laughing, chatting. Three girls, three twigs, three twigs on the bench. That's all. Here we are in Canal Gardens, standing by the long, thin pond that gives this little plot of land its name. Over the years, this stretch of water has been home to many strange inhabitants. Those who remember the park in the 1980s fondly recall the large carp that would surface from the watery depths to gulp the air and startle unsuspecting passers-by. Others recall the sleek black swans with bright red beaks that would sashay stylishly from one end of the water to the other. These were the days when the pond teemed with terrapins and a pair of fountains would send a fine spray of mist into the air, much to the delight of passing children. At the time of this recording, it is hard to tell that this compact stretch of water is in fact a pond at all. Pondweed covers its surface in a thick green carpet, making the canal look more like a well-tended lawn. The fountains are gone, and a statue sits in the centre of the lake. This is the spirit of the woods, a little boy brandishing a musical instrument, sitting on a rock surrounded by rabbits, birds, frogs and other small animals. The statue stood for many years near the upper entrance to the park, just north of the main gates. But sadly, he was subject to repeated vandalisation, which led to his eventual removal. Indeed, old photos show that his arm has had to be resoldered, and that he is missing a large bird, which previously stood on the rock on his left-hand side. Hopefully, the spirit is safer now, surrounded as he is by several feet of water. We're under a cedar tree in Canal Gardens, seeking out the shade on a stunning summer's day. And the so-called canal is actually just a stretch of water uh, where they captured one of the tributary streams that would otherwise just be flowing down a little side valley and into the main lake um, and uh, created a, a special water feature with little fountains. And this was here in the time of the Nicholsons before the whole of the park was acquired for the town. And they've still got a lovely herbaceous border on the south-facing side of what was the kitchen garden, just to the north there. And uh, it's now a, a rose garden, and then with the sensory garden on the south side, which is quite fun for little ones. And then there's Tropical World, just uh, on the other side of that walled garden. The walled garden would have been a practical addition to the whole estate, uh, producing fruit and vegetables for the people living in the house typical of a, of a country house setup. The grounds here are maintained by a working party of the Friends of Roundhay Park that was formed back in the 
90s and uh, they do sterling work on this and on litter picking and raising money for special projects such as the one at the moment where they're trying to create a renewed skate park on the top of the playground area. So marvellous uh, work done by volunteers working with the people in parks and countryside from the city council and without them you know this this whole park would not be in the in the current state that it is and uh, they've they've pulled off many successes over the last quarter of a cent- century typically the mansion over the road is not immediately surrounded by the practical garden or not even by the ornamental gardens it was the fashion at the time to look out over what was supposed to look like natural landscape they're remembering that in the time of, of Thomas Nicholson himself in the early 19th century, he had to set about creating that landscape from a rather despoiled scene and plant stands of trees and so on. So it wouldn't be, have been in that time the mature landscape that we see now. You know, we're getting the benefit all this time later, actually. And then lots and lots of memories. You know, my favourite place when I was a teenager was the, the canal, little canal lake, thing whatever it's called that in what's now tropical world because you could sit there in the little shed and, and smoke and nobody would uh, nobody would see you and it was near to the bus stop and then you could get on the bus and go into town um you know so there's all sorts of things like that that are sort of pattern of memories that that um uh, that are very present really subconsciously but it doesn't take very long to bring them all up you know because I've, I've lived in Leeds for a long long time this place is significant this is my place only I know that this is my place the school project directed us to make a book about our families pictures filled the book but one stood out great grandma and granddad Pierce were stood as proud as punch in canal gardens as they would say I can't find the picture anymore but I can easily create it in my mind when I'm here the long stretch of water next to the main park still but for a couple of large water jets in the water sprinkling droplets. The figure in the middle of the water stands holding a torch in its hand, Leeds' own mini Statue of Liberty. At one end is a wall covered in reeds, just hiding the roundy fox. At the other is the shelter, where you can take in the beauty and the greenery. Down each long side are benches, flower beds and trees. On one side is a wall behind which another garden sits. But in front of the wall is great grandma and granddad Pierce in the sun, proud as punch. The Canal Gardens, the high fruit walls of which enclose a beautiful lawn, magnificent groups of rhododendrons, and other ornamental trees and shrubs, flower beds and borders. Amongst the trees will be noticed one of a dark, dense, intricate foliage called the monkey puzzle, situate across the water as you stand near the gate that leads to the canal gardens proper. This sheet of water is 350 feet long and 34 feet wide, spanned at each end by a rustic bridge, surrounded by a broad walk, and terminating in a large, pleasant arbour. Adjoining is an extensive enclosed kitchen garden, stocked with fruit trees. There is also a range of vineries, a hundred feet long, 
in three compartments or divisions, showing the luscious grape in various stages of growth. Perhaps the visitor may here experience a trying effort of self-denial, but he will also remember the injunction, touch not. Goodall's Illustrated Royal Handbook to Roundhay Park, 1872. In addition to the features described in Goodall's Handbook, the Canal Gardens now has another feature of interest, one which well deserves to be explored. Tucked away by the gates on Old Park Road is the Friends Garden, opened in 2005. A lovely small woodland garden designed and built by the Friends of Roundhay Park. It contains no less than 91 plants, 12 trees, 14 kinds of bulb and 26 different meadow plants. My name is Janet Wilkinson. Uh, my connection to the park is that I'm a member of the Friends of Roundhay Park and I regularly come up here um, working in the gardens, um, in the, both in the main park and in what we call the Friends Garden here near Tropical World. I got involved originally in the Friends of Roundhay Park because I just thought it was such a beautiful open space. Um, and I guess I wanted to give something back really. I wanted to be able to walk around the park and feel as though I had a little bit of a, an ownership for little bits and pieces that we might have done. Uh, most of us live quite close to the park mm. and we use the park a lot, we go into the park a lot. Yeah. So it's a case of we want to make the park look as good as possible and we want to give something back. Yeah. I think that's it really. Yeah. Also, um, 20, 30 years ago, let's say there were 20 full-time park workers. There's now about six. So the park is huge, the largest urban park in Europe. They can't do it all, so they just do the pretty bits. We tend to go into the bits that people don't, apart from locals, don't often see and sort things out there. I've been volunteering for about 10 years in the main gardens on a Saturday um, because I was working full time up to about a year and a half ago. Um, and then since retiring, I've got involved in what's called the Friends Garden. Um, and we, before the COVID restrictions, uh, would generally meet once every fortnight in the summertime. And we just maintain the garden basically. Um, chop things down, do weeding, clear the leaves, make sure the paths are clear. About ten years ago I sort of was having some sort of personal problems, some mental health problems and I think I, I can remember coming here quite a lot on my own and just sitting here and it, it sort of just gave me that sense of perspective I think on life, just that, that quietness really away from sort of other, other turmoil. I was a project manager when I was working up to about a year and a half and it was extremely stressful um, work. And I think coming here and gardening, it, you just lose those stresses. It's just completely different. I, I, on, when I retired, I didn't want to do anything where I was having to tell everybody what to do, really. I wanted to just come and do what I wanted to do. <laughs> I always think that um, when I pass away, which hopefully is a long time, a long time away, I'd love a bench in Mountain Park. <laughs> It feels like, yeah, my soul is here. <laughs>
The starting point for Tropical World was a large conservatory, built and opened in 1911. The building was named Coronation House in honour of George V, who was crowned on the 22nd of June that year. Built to replace a row of small greenhouses, the large glasshouse allowed for the raising of more exotic plants and shrubs that might otherwise have perished in the cold British climate. This was still the age of empire, something likely reflected in the range of plants displayed in the collection. In 1939, the structure was rebuilt and refurbished, just before the outbreak of the Second World War. Happily, it survived the conflict. The photo on the Leodis website shows the building in 1966, flanked by a series of smaller greenhouses and surrounded by the circular sweep of the Leeds Rose Gardens. Always a popular attraction, by the 1980s an ambitious vision for its future had begun to take shape. The glasshouse was modernised in 1984, and four years later it was expanded to include a tropical butterfly house, which was also home to a number of other small animals, birds, reptiles and rare tropical fish. It was this addition which led to its rebranding. From now on, Coronation House was part of Tropical World. The addition of the butterflies and other animals made the attraction increasingly popular, and a further expansion took place in 1993. Today the building is home to many animals, including meerkats, tortoises, bats, tarantulas, crocodiles, lizards, snakes, armadillos, piranhas and leafcutter ants, as well as tropical and marine fish and other aquatic creatures. In 2005, the building added the names of two of its sponsors to its official title, becoming the Arnold and Marjorie Ziff Tropical World. Tropical World is a licensed zoo and, with the exception of Kew Gardens, is home to the largest collection of tropical plants in the UK. At the time of this recording, the last major refurbishment took place in 2015. The ducks have flown to a warmer town Everything goes to sleep But in tropical world The flowers stand by in the artificial heat The leaves are dropping golden brown As the winter creeps But under the glass it all stays the same The air is always sweet Walk around in tropical world, a pocket paradise. Prance around in tropical world, safe from snow and ice. Laugh in the face of winter, laugh in the face of winter, laugh in the face of winter. Ha 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 ha, ha ha ha. Ha 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 ha, ha 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 ha, laugh in the face of winter, laugh in the face of winter, laugh in the face of winter. Ha 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 ha, ha 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 ha, ha 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 ha, ha ha ha.
Uh, people are visiting the park and they're walking around going, Monet, Alhambra, Alhambra, Monet. And I say, well, if you walk up there, you'll see them. And then I explain that there are three show gardens, or four, that, four show gardens, uh, three of which won gold at uh, Chelsea Flower Show, uh, that were built by the council and they were taken down at the end of the Chelsea Flower Show and they were put up there and they're still there. The play of cool water on stone. Long hedged perspectives and a blaze of eye refreshing colour. It would be easy to imagine you are in southern Europe on a warm June morning. Well, you almost are. This is the Alhambra Garden, created to echo the formal gardens of the famous 13th century Alhambra Palace near Granada in Spain. And the Alhambra is just one of the specialist gardens at Roundhay. Take your time. Take in the peace and tranquility. But don't miss the Monet Garden, based on the Giverny Garden of the French Impressionist painter. Or the Coronation Garden, home of Roundhay's winning entries to the Chelsea Flower Show. These Roundhay treasures are often overlooked. The entrance missed as the dog walker heads for the mansion, or the runner jogs to her circuit of the upper lake. But stop. Enter. Walk through the quiet orchard. The glories of the Leeds Alhambra await you there. The Alhambra Gardens is in a little secret bit. You have to turn off the road that joins the main mansion to the, the road next to it near Tropical World. And you come in here and it's a, a rather lovely little hidden away section where you've got a garden that's inspired by the Alhambra in Granada in southern Spain. So we have the playing of water in a sequestered little spot with tall trees and lots of lovely herbaceous plants. A nice place to get away from the hustle and bustle. The house is a noble structure, adorned with a fine Corinthian colonnade and two porticos, and is approached from the entrance lodges on the Leeds and Weatherby Road by a carriage drive three-quarters of a mile long, on each side of which lies a scene of unusual beauty. Goodall's Illustrated Royal Handbook to Roundhay Park, 1872. Stand under the portico. Behold the steps and the long path descending through an acreage of rolling lawns and copses. Here at the mansion, you are master or mistress of all you survey, along with your fellow lead citizens. Because before John Barron and his supporters managed to purchase the park for the people of Leeds, this estate belonged to just one man, Thomas Nicholson, the gentleman who built this edifice for himself and his heirs. Look up at the handsome face of his house. Imagine waking every morning to this view. Um, I've been coming to the park for over 30 years. I actually got married here at the mansion house. It was absolutely wonderful because the mansion uh, house itself, we had the whole, whole place and there used to be a pub downstairs where 
people, everybody met. It was all changed now since then. And there's that beautiful staircase that we had lots of photographs, you know, the big yeah, staircase. It was very, very, very special. It's a, such a beautiful place, isn't it? I don't come here often. I do have a brother who lives close by. Sometimes we come for a walk, but I do come here when my grandchildren visit, and they love that section from the mansion, that they can run in that huge, big, long pathway with the trees either side of them, and they love it. They hide behind the trees, and it's just a really nice open space for them to run about in and for them to feel safe. Uh, well, funnily enough, on Boxing Day, uh, we used to come have a big family meal with all my extended family and my mum, who was quite elderly at the time. So lots of memories of, you know, my children, my nieces and nephews and everybody. We used to have a lovely meal just on our own within the, the mansion, the garden room, which was absolutely lovely. She did that for several years on Boxing Day, which was great. Thomas Nicholson was a local chap, but he'd been away in London, made a lot of money, came back here and uh, had a bank here in Leeds. And when this land here, the old deer park, as had been from medieval times, came on the market at the turn of the 19th century, he was able to to buy it and acquired a bit more land as well uh, later on uh, when somebody else fell on hard times. So he was able to set out this gentleman's park along the lines of so many other examples around the country of the 18th century. And this, where we are now, where the mansion stands, would be the place to have your grand house, wouldn't it? So nothing absolutely top grand, you know, it was... But in the style of the times, with classical columns and 17 bedrooms and one water closet, by the way, <laughs> um, and, uh, and then this wonderfully landscaped area, so stands of trees, winding paths, the upper lake, the lower lake, uh, especially made by damming the streams and the, the stream uh, that came down through the woodland, Great Heads Beck, then, you know, filled Waterloo Lake, and that uh, then becomes Wyke Beck, lower down. Uh, Thomas Nicholson lived here with his wife, eventually moved in in 1819, but he died in 1821, and they'd had no children. So he'd set up that his half-brother, Stephen Nicholson, was to inherit the place. Stephen Nicholson lived here for 25 years, and then his widow stayed on, but they'd had no children. So Stephen Nicholson had lined up a nephew born to one of his sisters. And this William Nicholson Phillips then decided to make himself look even more like the rightful heir, not by just knocking off the Phillips, but by calling himself William Nicholson Nicholson, <laughs> just to make doubly sure. So he then inherited the place eventually, after hanging around for a quarter of a century waiting to move in. And he had... So many children, 13 children, including some rather troublesome sons. That's a whole other story. But he ended up saying, right, this is not going to be passed down the family anymore. When I die, it's going to be sold. And the proceeds will be divided up amongst those of the family I haven't disinherited. And it will no longer be a Nicholson asset. Stood to the side of the sweeping path that stretches from the mansion to the lakeside cafe is a tall, domed structure. Consisting of eight stone columns atop a circular set of stairs, it could be a temple to some classical god. Safe to say, though, it is not evidence of pagan worship amongst the Victorian aristocracy. It is instead an ornate drinking fountain, 
presented to the people of Leeds by John Barron, MP. Barron was an industrialist and former mayor of Leeds, who led the campaign to buy the Roundhay Park estate for the public. Barron's Fountain, so called because it was a gift by John Barron to the town of Leeds, to the people who were using the park in the days before there was a refreshment pavilion and there was nowhere for people to get a drink. It's quite appropriate really that he as a lifelong teetotaler should give a source of water to the people. And this is a, a wonderful little classical pavilion designed by his friend the architect Thomas Ambler and donated 10 years after the official opening of the park in 1882. And it cost £3,000, and I've looked that up, and it would be equivalent of £400,000 today. So not just a little bit of spare change from Barron, the great clothing magnate. He was a pioneer of ready-made clothing in Leeds. He'd come up from London as a young man, knowing that Leeds was a place to make a living, and had a garment-selling business, and then started making clothing, then leapt on the Singer sewing machine in the early 1850s. And uh, soon after that, he spotted an opportunity for speeding up the cutting process by adapting a piece of machinery that was made for cutting layers of veneer of wood for making furniture. And so now, with this adapted machine, he was able to get his cutters to keep up with the sewers, and he had a workshop just off Ball Lane and then a workshop in Park Row and then eventually co commissioned Thomas Ambler to build that incredible factory and warehouse building in Park Square and then another factory that we now call Joseph's Well. So he was very successful in business, but he was also very civically engaged. And uh, he became a councillor in the 1850s and then an alderman and took his turn as mayor of Leeds 1871 to 72, it so happened, therefore, he was the chap in charge at the top of the corporation when the park happened to come on the market. And he had a very strong feeling that this had to be acquired for the townspeople. The, this terrible, smoky, unhealthy place that was so crowded, and apart from Park Square itself, where presumably the trees struggled to grow in this atmosphere... Uh, there was nowhere for people to go and their small amount of free time. And although the park was quite far out of town, and in fact beyond the borough boundary, this was another daring aspect of deciding to go for it. Um, and although it was going to be far more expensive than, than the limit of the amount that they were allowed to spend as a corporation, he just decided they would do everything they could to get it. So... Hepper, the auctioneer, worked with him to open the park on the Sundays during 1871. And they built up a, a, quite a head of popular um, agreement with this idea. And eventually the auction took place. How nervous Miss Barron had have been, because there was a counter-bidder who was interested in this land as um, speculative housing. And he had to raise his bid and eventually the hammer went down on the whole lot at 139,000 which today is the equivalent of 18 million but he had a plan so instead of it just coming straight out of the rates or going to people cap in hand to subscribe to it you know the sort of philanthropic way of getting rich people to, to donate the place to the town he was determined that it would pay for itself eventually so they acquired both the lot 19 that would become the public park and lot 20 which was the building land which they would progressively sell off and recoup 
a lot of the money. But in the interim, he had to mortgage his own house and he got three other councillors to help with essentially bridging finance until they could get this Act of Parliament the following year. But um, there were objections um, to this plan. I mean, there were objections from those who were in the out townships of Leeds that were really quite far off. You know, it was far enough from Leeds Township itself. Uh, But for people in Bramley and Hunslet and so on, it was really quite a step. But John Barron said, look, you will get parks yourselves later on. If we don't get this one now, we'll never have another chance. And this is a serious uh, stretch of land. You know, it's going to be over 300 acres for the people of the town to enjoy themselves. And it's got ready-made lakes. It's got the stands of trees and the lovely paths for people to walk along. We don't have to spend money on it in the first instance because it's already a park. So let's go with it. Aaron's Fountain, 1992. On my bike, just moved to Leeds, late November day, and I know no one. All is for discovery. Can't take it in, the range, the sweep of it, woods, lakes, lose myself, don't care, find myself again at Baron's Fountain. What will happen, happen to me here in this city, new to me? Stay and wait, stay and wait. Thirty years later, late summer's day, things are still happening and I'm still discovering. Love the haiku, love the sonnet, love the quatrain and the couplet, love the words, from East Leeds FM. So that was the first hour of A Walk in the park, a sonic stroll through Roundhay Park in Leeds, which originated as part of Meet You at the Mansion, a site-specific performance created in association with Friends of Roundhay Park to mark the 150th anniversary of Roundhay in September 2022. If you go to the Facebook page of A Quiet Word, you will see the map beautifully created by Amy Levine, the artist and you can you can download the 26 audio pieces that correspond to 26 places in the park and you can walk around with your phone and a pair of headphones or as I say you can just listen at home so we'll see you next week in Roundtay Park